Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Explicit Measures Podcast with Tommy, Seth, and Mike. Welcome back, everybody. It's March. Uh, that's kind of like a question, I guess. <laughs> Man, is it going by quick for me? I don't know about you guys, but this year is quickly zooming by. We're already into March already, which, by the way, is the best month of the year. Your birthday month, I'm assuming. You would be correct. Ah. So happy Tuesday, there gentlemen. It is. You there know, is. Uh, Mike, March being your birthday, you've got to be somewhere in that realm of magical numbers. Is, mm-hmm. is this the year for you? This is a good, this is the hill year. <gasps> yep, you've crested oh the hill. Yep, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> Apparently, four. the four is a first digit. Yep, that is correct. That's, four uh, is the magic number. When we get around that time, I'll express my feelings as it relates to that that number when I crested it. Just, I'm on the, Eons I'm on the ago, downward, on the downward hill. <laughs> <laughs> That's exciting, Mike. I'm excited. Yeah, it's uh, man, it, it goes by quick, and mm-hmm. it, time is just flying by. There are so many things going on right now, so I'm I'm definitely very pleased with it. Uh, I do I do have a bit of an opener this morning. I do want to gripe here a little bit with you guys. Um, like more, like a lot of old people do. do yeah, you know, now that, now that old people do <laughs> complain, right? <laughs> testing this, testing out the what yeah. that looks like yeah, all see? the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. It's like the Simpsons yeah. old man shakes a uh, fist at the sky. <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. So, so the, the format pane, I have been really hard <laughs> trying to use the format pane. And so... I, there are some things that are very helpful on the format pane. Mm. One thing I'll give it, I'll, I, I, this is going to be one of those sandwiches where you give some good feedback and some bad feedback. I'm just worried that the bad feedback might be very large in this sandwich, but you know, whatever. Uh, the, 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 there is an option inside the format pane. There's three ellipses when you get to the new format pane. On, and it's a little bit weird because you have to go between like the visual properties and the regular properties. Stuff has been renamed bad, but the ellipsis allows you to expand all sections which has been more helpful to me than the old way of doing the format pane because the old format pane had no way of opening everything up because I had to click every single ex- section to open up the, the format pane. So I do like that feature. That is really good. Uh, this comes with a very strong negative right next to it is in that little <laughs> drop-down menu, the very first option in that list is reset all to default. Oh, no. So <laughs> let me just say this. I don't think reset all default should be the first option in that list. That would be my opinion. They should definitely put that at the bottom of the list to make it a little bit harder to get to reset all as your first it's also, option. It's also not really uh, an option I want to use. Right. Lot, nope. I've know. I've blitzed a number of visuals where I had a, a couple things setted uh, settings that have been set, and I had to rebuild all of them because that reset to all is right there. I think my gut feel tells me there should be a separate icon, right? You should you have the ellipsis for a drop-down menu. You should expand all, collapse all. That's fine. I would have rather have seen just icons for those. Just give me like three little icons. Give me an expand all, a collapse all, or a single button that expands, collapses, just one button, boop, boop, and then, you know, put your other menu options in the ellipsis, like reset, or give that, put that somewhere else. It's too close to where I'm actually doing my work. It's like the next Tesla coming out going, we got two options, start car, blow up car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly that right. Is and there's no, I, and there's no confirmation. Like, are you sure? It's just <laughs> this d- is a big deal. Bah, delete. So that would you know what I would have liked as the first option. You know, which which makes sense. I probably would have used a lot is override settings with theme. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And there's an, there's another section I think that's another a little bit annoying. Like if they have different sections of things. Right. You can you can revert to default on certain cases. Sure. But. They've now grouped them in a way that there's like three sections together, and you can't overwrite one of the white section squares. You have to go to the, all three of the white sections. So, like right. for example, like if you're talking about like the title, right? You can only reset the entire title. You can't reset just the font color. You can't reset just the background color. You have to reset the whole thing. And then again, I've done that again a couple times as well. So. No, I'm with you right now where some of the settings where you're kind of like, where's title? Oh, it's on the third drop down. And like, I have to click four times for the title and it's, yep. I I have my, however, you will like the expand all button because at least that's as long as you don't reset your stuff. Like I did just make sure you get, if you get everything open, I do, I do like the long scrollable list. Right. And I think that might be 
I mean, I, I would have an opinion here around Do this you? one. It'd be nice if it was really? a global setting where I could just say, make sure it's always open on by default. Honestly, like I'm, yeah. I kind of be, I'm okay well, with that. Get into that window and just scroll until I get what I want to get to. That's less grant, effort than having to go dig for stuff all the time. Granted, I would take the reset all and take that risk if I still had the ability to take out the formatting pane into an own window. You're never going to get that. It, that's not, know, that's not I, what PowerPoint does. So, yes, you can't, so you can't do it. You can absolutely do that in PowerPoint. Not your properties. Yeah. Any fight, any pain that can fight, go on the side. Fight, fight, oh fight. man. I don't, Is there a dinner in here? No, I don't know about this. I'm done betting <laughs> you guys. I'm losing my shirt. <laughs> Anyways. Speaking of shirts. Do you want to win some free swag? Got yeah. a post by tomorrow. <laughs> Speaking of which, yeah. So a great segue. That's a so, great yeah. segue. I may lose mine, but you may get one. Go ahead, Tommy. Give the pitch. <laughs> Don't worry. You're not going to win Mike's. Don't worry. You won't win <laughs> my shirt. Same one. It's a new one. Not it's the same it's a one. new clean one. So tomorrow's your last day to post on Twitter and LinkedIn and share the podcast someone. And then if you do share using the hashtag explicit measures, then you are automatically entered pending you're in the U.S. Um, to enter a contest to win some free swag. So all you have to do, it's very simple. Share the podcast on your social media on social, on Twitter or LinkedIn because that's the only things we really check, and use that hashtag. So that enters you in the drawing. We have a link that I'll send out that's basically to the podcast page. Really could be to the podcast YouTube. However, get people to around us. We really appreciate that. We'll let you. The uh, contest ends tomorrow night. Once that's over, you'll get someone. We'll do a random drawing. You'll get a message from me saying you won. What's your address? And Mike will send you the shirt off his back. So exactly right, clean, brand new one, right out of the website. We will, we, we will not we will not give other shirt right off his back. No. <laughs> awesome. Threw a link in there. Threw a little hashtag in there. Um, thank you all for and for for, for those of you who've been listening yeah. along with us. We really appreciate uh, your support. We appreciate your feedback. Um, we've been we've been very encouraged by uh, the kind of ramblings that we do on the show and. <laughs> we still have fun with it. So let's let's jump into today's topic. So um, today's topic is going to be an interesting one. I'm going to see where this is going to go. I have a couple thoughts around this, but I'm I'm actually more curious to see where you guys land on this topic. The the I I kind of abbreviated the title here uh, for the podcast, just calling it uh, PBI best practices. But it's actually a bit more than that. We're actually talking about now how do you get authors of reporting to conform to what you're best practices or your standards would be within your company. So I think this is going to be an interesting topic. Um, Tommy, kind of give us a, the scenario here. Maybe give us a little bit of a situation or a setup. Like, you know, how do you, you know, what's frame the question a bit more for us, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Background. So a lot of teams, you may have your own process policy. You have your design, you have your way you do your data model. You have your certain DAX measures that you deploy people like the problem is, you may have a lot of people at your company or just a few who also create reports. And the problem is really, do you get people to actually use that same design? Are you, they using the same themes, the same data models? If you're reporting on member count, is everyone following that same process? But it's not just obviously the metrics. It's kind of the layout, the same experience for someone. So if I'm a consumer and I go to uh, authors A's report and then authors B report, Am I still in that same experience or is it literally like I'm in a different application or a, a different experience? And the, the reason why we're having this discussion is how do we, how important is it? Number one, what are those important elements? What are things that we can allow people to have their own expression, so to speak? And then what can you do when people don't want to, if you don't have that authority? Sure. So I, I tend to take my spin on this one. I liked what you were going with that initially. I think there's multiple areas that you could talk about here. Um, I think there's just some, well, I'll just list the areas. I think there's some data engineering standards or best practices you may have in your organization. You know, where do you get your customer master data from? Where do you get your product master data from? Is that something that you groom out in a, a Synapse or a SQL server? Or does that come through data flows? I think there's some pieces like that. I think there's a look and feel of the report. So, Tommy, you mentioned like a designer or working with a designer team. I think that's interesting. I'm I'm finding it. I'm not sure where the lemon is worth the squeeze on that one all the time. I think it's definitely worth it for you to spend some time thinking about what the style of the report will look like initially, doing some theming, some basic options and settings and changes there. But, you know, for internal reporting, 
I mean, sometimes it doesn't make sense for you to like spend a bunch of time building style. It, it's more around how do we get the data together so that it can let people make decisions, right? We don't want to spend a ton of extra time styling. And then I would say the last part of there would be like the build of the report, right? The end user experience. Um, how do you how do you add help buttons? What does that look like? What does your standard look like for adding help buttons and stuff like that? So I, yeah, those are the th I would say those are kind of like my three areas where I would kind of frame this. How do you guide people along to make sure they follow some sort of standardization? So I'm gonna pivot real quick because you said yeah. something that's gonna trigger okay. me. But if you don't think that style is as important internally, you're grossly misunderstanding how important style is. No, I don't think I'm saying that. I'm thinking I'm saying like, so if I'm going to pr produce a report for an external user on a on a embedded website, mm -hmm. I'm going to spend the time doing drop shadows. I'm going to make I'm going to engage the graphic designer. I'm going to uh, make you know a really pretty looking background for things. Now, not to say I don't do that internally, but internally I may not need that. I think you know there you're definitely applying some sort of style. But am I spending a half a day a day to do the internal styling? Probably not. It definitely Why? depends if if my internal users are, you know, executives who just need to glance at it and move on, or I like my reports that I do for me or my team. We don't need a lot of extra stuff. We need actionable charts, right? I spend a lot more time thinking about what is the chart saying and what data points are on there than I am spending a bunch of time thinking about like, oh, you know, is my I'll make sure the spacing's right, but I'm not going to go build a custom background. I'm not going to go build a, an image for that. You One of the joys of joining us live <laughs> or on YouTube is you get to see all the nonverbal interactions that, that those of you listening online don't. And, and there was a beauty during this last segment where Tommy, Tommy had the eye for, you know, the, 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 eyebrows. the eyebrow furrows, just, <laughs> yeah. just kind of oh, inquisitively listening to Mike. <laughs> he was describing how look and feel doesn't really matter much in terms of uh, time spent. I here here's I'm kind of in between here, right? Um, Mike, you you run your own company, right? And and I think you're getting engaged to solve some of the the large implementation yeah. aspects. Huge. And I I I agree from the standpoint that most companies aren't going to pay you a lot or hmm? allow you a lot of time to engage in a lot of the the niceties of making a report look as high quality as we can make it. Agreed. Tommy, to your point, do I think that the efforts spent for reporting to like be a very polished product within an organization are important? I personally do. Yes. I, I, I think it is important to go through there, especially, or I should say in cases where your reporting solution is a widely used organizational tool. Mm -hmm. And that's the hope that all Power BI implementations would be. It's like everybody's using these reports and yep. this is how data is, is, right. is spent and, and, and whatnot. So uh, like today, I'm going to talk about look and feel, right? I agree that it, it should absolutely be part of um, a, a standard practice to conform things in a certain way yes. but yep the trade-off there is the organization has to also believe that that's important and want to spend the time there agreed because more often than not i would say they don't the ironic yeah we don't build we don't build enough yep. time into our estimates to incorporate the the standardization across reporting components or look and feel or those types of things that just give a very polished edge to the power bi, the well, power BI and i'm not saying the, don't i'm not no, saying don't do it ever yeah i'm also saying like you know if i'm if i'm looking at like the scope of i got 15 reports to build right i'll spend a half a day maybe building out some theme options that are going to be kind of a standard piece and i think i think where i'm going with this more is it's it's a lot more around what seth is talking about is it, i think where i'm leaning on this one is how do you get people to kind of conform to a standard or a process I think that becomes part of your review process as you move reports from people developing them into a production environment. And I've, I've really, again, I'm going to point to this one again. Microsoft has done a way better job with de deployment pipelines. I really like deployment pipelines because I can focus on the team in the development group. We can get reports done. We can get them executed. I can make sure themes are applied. But I think it really boils down to you need a, a documentation spec or something that defines what are your expectations around reports 
and then have a regular review time to get things into production. And so I think that really helps. Right. And the, the ironic thing though, Mike, is I do actually agree with you where people were just trying to deliver the data. Just the problem is people expect something either professional or they're very overwhelmed when something is slightly off. Like a color, we've talked about this, if yep. the sales year to date somewhere is different, one color or one bar chart to the next. Well, I'm, but well, that's, that's not what I would call what I'm doing here. Like, so okay, again, yeah. when, where I'm trying to cut the fat on this one, it more or less is, is you know, stuff around, like, I'm not going to get a custom background. I'll just throw a, a gray thing yeah, in the okay. background and I'll probably put visuals sure. on there with a, a white background on them so they can kind of stick together. Right. Yeah. I'm not going to spend a lot of time making a custom header bar. However, yeah. right. I do need to be very considerate of how other people are consuming my, my, my report. And I'm, mm -hmm. I may be in, in my mind, I may be emphasizing a bit more or putting a bit more weight around. It's probably better for me to record a video on how the report works, what clicks do what in the report, how to use personal bookmarks to save what you're looking at in content. I, I think there's a couple other elements here that are more important or I'm prioritizing more about than all right, I need to go build a scrim for the background. I need to go, um, you know, yes, I'm probably going to go pick one of the color palettes that look good off of the internet. Yes, fine. But like, I'm not going to, you know, arduously comb and groom over those things. I'm going to focus more on like the user experience side of things. Yeah. And, and I think, I guess let's kind of focus on those elements that you would consider like they are the must-haves or your deal breakers that everyone needs to be part of or at least follow. And like, for me, I think you kind of spoke to the elements, the naming conventions layout. And I've, like, I think the data goes without saying, like if you're reporting on your, on your transactions, your members, obviously you should be using the right tables. I almost feel like that's one of those, obviously like, uh, but there's the other things that people do that will great, even though they're slightly off, that will greatly change the user experience, greatly either overwhelm them or kind of display the bi team in a bad light where you may use a gray background someone uses a white background and the reports look completely different no, so no, that yeah. i disagree with like that right to me that's like okay that's where the reviewing of these things and that's where i think some of my content will come later right it's you know there's like have some documentation right mm -hmm. you can't you can't expect people to do something if you don't have a, a point in time where like hey this is the standard this is what we're looking at sit here do this thing right so what would be some of your elements that are the vital like you know like i said like that are deal breakers for that people need to follow if you're an organization from report development deal breakers for me alignment i can't alignment. stand things that are not aligned correctly I took, I took this you know in terms of like best practices are we talking i i like I like the three points you made, Mike. Like, there's a data engineering aspect mm -hmm. to this, which yep. is really 80% of all the report build. Oh, totally Look and feel. The build, yep. the experience that we're having, and then look and feel, right? So I, I kind of took this in a, in the direction of the, the team. And I think, in large part, conforming to a best practice is more important. Like, are we talking, as an individual, there should be best practices that you always follow? Or are you saying when you're working in a team, all of the teams should be working in cohesive? Number two. Okay. So like that obviously infinitely scales <laughs> um, as the team gets bigger and the challenges become more more pronounced. <coughs> Excuse me, pronounced. I will say whatever form of environment, the absolute number one thing is some sort of version control, right? Even if that's mm. a a solution which we we mm. utilize SharePoint extensively, yeah, right? I, I like most idea. organizations do. But it there's a difference between your ability to plug into SharePoint, a SharePoint folder, right? Save it, like sync that with your Windows Explorer, so it's kind of like you have that seamless experience, and the check-in and check-out procedures that allow that SharePoint allows you to do, right? And and what's what we've found is it is absolutely important to have that set up bar first first and foremost yes. to just let people know you're working on that that single PBIX file yep. and and someone's making changes and you can't overwrite the changes right because the more the more changes you're going to be doing to the same report within a team the more 
possibility there is that you're going to make a change and Mike's going to make a change and I'm going to have a like and we'll all have copies. And then when it comes to like saving back to SharePoint and deploying, somebody's changes aren't going to make it. Right. So number one, like in terms of like the best, like a best practice, always have a, a type of version control for the PBIX file before you're deploying it. Um, bare minimum. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think even, yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think Microsoft's hopefully getting there with Power BI because they are almost at that point with Power Apps where you can actually like resolve conflicts because you can actually have a GitHub repo for your Power Apps. But I think to your point, the more I'm thinking about it, the things that would upset me the most if I'm looking at someone else's report in my organization is if we're reporting on the same thing, but we have a different data model where there's either like one fat, one flat table and we're not using the right dimensions. That's maybe number one to me. Number two, Let's go, that I like, well, don't go too, don't go too fast. Cause I want to like, yeah, number, yeah, 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 yeah. I think your number one is a great option. And I think that's really around the data engineering thing that I'm saying, like there are standards you want to have there. Yeah. Right. One of the things we should not be seeing in models is calculated columns. If I see right. calculated columns showing up, I'm like, we pro- why are they there? Right. And I would actually argue like, okay, if we actually need a calculated column, Let's go push that into the upstream data mm-hmm. system and make sure that we have it there. We don't really need the calculated columns in Power BI. Maybe occasionally you're trying to build like a summary calculated table kind of thing every so often. But even then I'm saying that's pretty rare in my cases. I, I, again, I have more control than most for, for how I engineer these things. I'm, right. And I have the ability to go to push these uh, extra needed tables, aggregations, whatever I want upstream. And so I highly recommend doing those upstream right. if possible. Right. All right. Sorry. That was I, number one. Keep no, 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 no. You're good. Like for me, like, again, if you're using uh, like the, the product dimension, like, you know, how we're reporting on categories, you yes. better be using that right table yep. and connecting to the right fact table. The other thing that really gets to me that I think throws people off is how we report our main metrics. And I hate when data formats, not the data type, but the data format does not have like a thousand does not have the thousand separator. Or there's like double, two decimals when there's no need for that for a whole number. Or it's a percentage, but you're not showing it as percentage. To me, that's one of the things that I think at bare minimum you have to do from a professional point of view. And again, if you if if the company reports on it as a currency, then report on it as a currency. Um, and then the final thing I think we talked about, there's the layout aspect of it, the design, but it's not so much like are you using the you know, like the alignments, obviously like that's the best practice for anyone. That's not necessarily a Correct. team best practice. Yeah. I agree with that. So what I, I would refer to is our company layout or the approved layouts where we report on our main metrics in these cards. Where do the cards go? Yep. Where does the title go for like the report page? Hmm. And then basically what is that flow of the report? You can have different versions or different, you know, in a sense, um, different canvases so to speak but they have to follow the same experience and i think regardless of what your company gets to as long as you have something that's approved those are the three things to me that have to be in place from a team point of view and i think i think a lot of these things that you're mentioning tommy are very relevant and i also think it's very important that you take that information like you've you've mentioned a lot of really key things that like are good practices to move forward I think, again, I, I keep going back to this whole, like, you know, and before you get the keys to the castle, right, before you get access to a workspace, before you allow people to go mm-hmm. through these things, this is like a one or two hour internal training session that you do where you say, okay, I've documented these kind of best practices. I've put them somewhere publicly that the entire company can look at. This is our reference point. And again, call it your, you know, center of excellence. I mean, that, that team should be producing those kind of things, right? These are the experts trying to lead the direction of where Power BI is going right? Engage with those people, put, put that stuff somewhere, right? Have it documented. Then, then make a gate for people to get access to Power BI to some level of, okay, you want your own workspace? You're going to share things? Here, go through this training. Tommy's going to walk you through this. We're going to do it once a, once a month. We're going to go push people through that thing, and then you get access to more things in Power BI, because that point in time, now you've been told, right? I'm a big, I can't stand this stuff where people are like, well, you should have done this. You should Did anyone tell anyone? Does anyone like, has anyone sought, sat down and thought about what does the process look like? If you don't have that, then it doesn't make sense. So you're, 
you're raising a question in my mind and I'm trying to answer it myself as I'm going through and being unsuccessful. So I'm going to verbalize it in (laughs) in an odd way. Um, We're branching two different areas that I would have initially thought are different, but I don't know if they are. So what you're, what you're stretching me on is getting authors quote unquote to conform to best practices is is easy to think about in terms of like a BI team, right? Sure. Where I live. Yep. But you're introducing the other aspect of like community of practice type things where yep. you're sharing or disseminating these best practices to a wider audience. Correct. Who technically are also authors of reports. Could be. I I th- I think but we're trying how to- much of that is crossover? I don't know. Like and it's debatable. Yeah. Right. This, or does, or does the rising like, tide is that part here? of this conversation? I just want to like if it is, I'm I'm gonna I need to expand real quickly here. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely think there's there there's levels of of reporting, right? So governed parts of reports, right? We are we I would say we probably would all agree, like on an area where we think this is important reporting, we need it every day. It's going to be relied upon. That's governed, right? That report will come with an SLA. We're going to make sure that we have good reviews on it. We're going to spend a lot of time building the reports so they look good and they're easy to consume for a large audience or a very specific audience. But I would say for sure, those reports are going through the rigor that we're talking about here. Then there's kind of more of this like fringy stuff, right? So if we're Mm -hmm. talking like the hub and spoke model, right? There's There's a centralized COE. We maybe have some teams that are in different departments like the production or the manufacturing department. They may need to have data too, and they may also build their own reports, but how do you they're they're not building governed parts of reports, they're building stuff internally for their team. So how do you engage those individuals? Right. And, and I do think there's and again, I think this is a you you can't get everyone to walk the same direction, but we can at least make it easier for people to get started, right? And I think that's where I'm trying to trying to push here is, you know, I'd, I'd like to I'm trying to reduce friction for the broader part of the organization here. Again, put out standards. You know, that center of excellence, I think, is really helpful because as you engage with people, they're going to have questions around, like, DAX and, like, what's an aggregated table and when do I do incremental refresh? And there's going to be other topics, I think, that people need to know about, but that's where you can start grooming that information down to your organization for other teams. So, yeah, I don't, this is going to be interesting because I, I don't think you can control everything, but you can, have, you can have good intentions and good process to help with that direction. I, I do like I do like that it's introduced into the the conversation because we have discussed in the past uh, the importance of thinking about other people when you're building a report and whether that's in the context of your team specifically and how you're doing things. If you also are doing that for the organization or prepping that type of kind of documentation of certain things of what your best practices are and those are extensible or visible to the rest of the organization, then you're doing a service to the rest of the business because mm-hmm. any new Power BI user, you can do the same thing we've done with uh, you know a blog or whatever we do. You can reference all the stuff you created <laughs> a year ago, yep. right? Like go back here instead of retraining somebody because you've already created that repository of information. So I like the idea of like having your, your call it best practices, call it like how you build a report, et cetera, in the same location, how much of, they ad, of that they adhere to though, I, I think is where there might be a little bit of a difference. And, and the only reason I say that is because if I'm, if I'm relegating this conversation only to like, the BI team where you're talking about reports that are widely shared throughout the organization, it's extremely important that some best practices or a lot of them are followed because the the assumption is these reports are consumed by many users or extremely valuable to the organization. And the outcome of best practices, or I said should say the lack of any practice is the death knoll for reporting, mm-hmm. which is essentially like you have no trust because yes. somebody doesn't know what's going on yes. with the data. Trust is a you've, big thing here. You have yeah. inconsistent reporting, right? And and that doesn't even scratch the surface to like the result of having no process at all with a team is you're probably going through these vicious cycles of 
reverting changes, yes. bug introducing bugs, like, yep. and nobody knows what the state of the report is because all three of us have a copy of the PBIX file yep. and we just, we decided all to publish our changes on the same day. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. And people are overwriting and, changes on top of each yeah. other. And like, that's, yeah, I definitely think there's some sort of release management processing that you figure out here on how to like figure out how you do that in a way that, that allows people to work on multiple things without overriding each other. Yeah. And let's not underestimate Mike, what you said that you, you didn't gloss over, but how important it's the framework. The most important yes. part is you have to have this, written down somewhere agreed where if you have your development guidelines or best practices or mandate whatever you want to call it is there somewhere where it's laid out where here's if you need to connect to you know certain product categories this is what you use here are the template folder here's our themes folders yep. if you're publishing to this workspace use this theme yep. if you're developing this type of report here's the layout that you can use yeah, here's exactly. you know, the layouts make it easy and for people you, right but you have to have this written down first before you can 100%, deliver this 100 yeah. 100% agree because then if because if you don't have it written down again i i, I yeah. have this com like i feel like it's a uh you can't hold someone responsible for something you didn't tell them. You can't come right. in after the fact and be like, well, this doesn't conform to our standard. And then everyone gets yeah. frustrated and they're like, this is crap. I'm not going to do this anymore. So like, right. I definitely feel like you start with like, you know, someone, again, I, I think this is a great use case for like where the center of excellence kind of comes in and says, okay, what do we want to do here? Like, how do we define what is governed? How do we define what is not governed? How do we define, because uh, Melissa Coates uh, from her training around gov Power BI governance, she has this concept of, Use a background that has a certain symbol or emblem or some kind of something. So the governing team that's doing reports has a, a distinctly different background that gives a kind of a stamp of approval. And yes, other people potentially could copy that. But the idea is if anything, if any report comes along with this kind of insignia, right, certified data sets, backgrounds that have this certain image on them, it helps you promote and con and convey like, there's a team of people that are monitoring this. They're making sure it's good. And again, I think it boils down to trust in the data, right? If I can't trust the data, this stuff is not helpful. I, you, yeah, you could put an Easter egg like, uh, say, sorry, Sega Genesis used to with, they couldn't, they didn't want the, uh, the like creator of Sonic to put his name on the end screen. So he did it in a black font at the very end. <laughs> so you could nice. do something with a Dax. Sorry, sorry, Seth. Dumb joke. <laughs> No, that's a. I didn't know that. That's a key key tidbit of information. Key, I didn't really know important Sega. Yeah. for those of you '80s and '90s kids, <laughs> yeah, like Mike. You know, Sega Genesis <laughs> just didn't do it for me the way Nintendo Nintendo did. I had a Sega, and the was it was good. It was good, but I liked the Nintendo better. The Nintendo had my, some stronger games. My parents only sprung for the Atari Thirty Six Hundred, and <laughs> and and that was it. Right, like that was that was as far as they were going to bring technology into the yeah. the uh, the home. So that was back in the day when, you know, kids could just disappear from the house for a day and go into other kids' houses and no play Nintendo all day there's without a, your parents. There's don't. actually a correlation <laughs> here. Um, it's actually very interesting we talk about this, and I'm not even kidding. There's Because there's a book called The Council Wars, and it's basically about the Sega Genesis Nintendo age. Nintendo was incredibly strict on any game that was published in their system. Mm -hmm. If you want to develop a game for Nintendo, yes. you literally had to go jump through hoops. It had to go through a review process and they any change that they wanted you had to make. Genesis Sega took the completely opposite of approach saying just pay us this and you can publish your your game. To think about the two aspects and one of the the ideas here is we can either be like you know, you have to follow every single practice. If you want a slicer, you have to contact Mike and Mike will approve if you can use a slicer on a page. True. You know, because some, you can kind of see that where some reports have 15 slicers, so you want to curb that. But there's got to be a point, too, of obviously Ooh. you have your written guidelines. But then there's like, how much do you allow for not every report to look also exactly the same? Where if you, if there's a different, because every reports have different needs, which in my head call for a different layout. Obviously, again, we've talked about deal breakers that don't, you know, like you always have to have, but there's still that expression of, I'm trying to portray this. Mm -hmm. If I have a, a layout that looks like this, I can't do that. Yes. And so I, where where's that cutoff point? Well, I mean, I, I definitely think there's, you know, the, again, to the examples here of like templates. So I, I think template files are a really good option here and being able to set up a lot of things initially. 
Um, what's Seth slow clapping for? I come on, it. man! Like you, you gotta, you gotta take a moment to to just be. How I tied that all together? Yeah, <laughs> stunning. <laughs> How we went from Sega and Nintendo, and you brought it back, man. Gotcha. I thought that was going to be the the most bizarre offshoot we've ever had. Originally, it was, and then I and... remembered that. <laughs> Slow clap for you, my friend. Thank you. Well done. Thank you. Sorry. Mike. No, it's good. It's good. It's really good. I'm proud of myself too at this point. So... <laughs> I so I would totally I would totally agree with you there on that one, Tommy. Just the the whole concept of how much you you overtly control everything and again i i will go back to like i think the templates are just a really good option i think templating mm -hmm. does a lot of things for you it sets up a lot of standards it again i think i'm lazy right or, or efficient or whatever you want to call it right i'd rather have someone give me like hey here's a great starting place start here right i've already done 90 percent of the work this is repeatable work i can't this also speaks to our conversation around virtuous waste right don't keep mm. doing the same thing over and over and over again that center of excellence or that template or, you know, make it frictionless for people. Here's a file. Start here. This is, this is the yep. theme file. We've already got it. We've already got it ready to go. Don't don't worry about right. finding things in the format pane. We've already died it. You know, start here. And then you can always tweak it after the fact. But you know, at least you have a starting point to get going. You know, here's a here's a report file with a couple cards and some other images on the page. I mean, this is where Seth and I kind of came up with this whole idea about layouts. Right. We had these concepts of it's a. It's a report without data. It has a background applied to it. It's got pretty backgrounds. And we even went as far as adding generic visuals to the report page. And so put a couple cards across the top of the page. Put a couple tables or other charts in the body of the page. It's easy enough to change a visual. It's a click of a button. So I think it also makes a lot of sense when you start using the the model and the thin report methodology, right? So you, if you build two reports, right, and you have a report that has the model in it, now if you have a template file, it makes it even easier. Just go connect to the model. The data just appears, right? So I think this even works even better when you're starting to talk about governing and standards and things, right? Someone can spend time working and building the model, and I think in larger, larger organizations, you start finding there's more roles here, right? There's a data engineering role preparing the data for Power BI. There's a modeling role of someone who's just focusing on building models of data and making sure the data loads efficiently, right? And then there's the report builders of the world. So like, I think there can you can start breaking these roles into different pieces, and by honing in and focusing on each of the roles, you can build practices and best standards around each of those roles as well. I, I do want to bring up one point that was made before we went on the Nintendo segue. Yeah, sure. Uh, thing, which was <laughs> we're, we're talking about kind of the best practices, but one of the key components, especially for, I think, team leads to understand is this this process documentation kind of thing mm -hmm. like if you if you have expectations for a team like lay them out on a high enough level so that you're not like micromanaging every single way right. somebody implements something yeah. but you are giving them the markers to remember the different points along the way and and i don't think you can hold people accountable until you have that because i know in my world and I'm assuming yours as well, there are 5,000 things you can do in a day, right? And especially as we rip through cycles of like, I have to hit deadlines or I have to get this thing out or, you know, like there's so much going on for people as far as decision-making mm -hmm. that I, I know I personally, like almost day by day, I take notes in OneNote all the time because I can't remember everything. Mm -hmm. Like I'm literally asking the team member something from last week and then coming into this week, I'm like, oh, my God, where is that? And mm -hmm. I go back to my notes because that's the only way I'd be able to keep track of everything. In the same way, if you have best practices or a process or you expect people to do the same, like similar mm -hmm. or same steps along the road, you need to have that process, not to dictate, but I think more so to guide people or have the reference point for them to be like, hey, I'm gonna put this on my over screen over here. So as I'm ripping through all these challenges that are unique to a report in the data, in the differences, I'm adhering to what we need to as an organization to hit these high level points. And I'm using you know, the same objects, I'm using the same time, the themes, the whatever the case may be in this process, it's always good to have the reference point. Mm -hmm. 
and and I think that has to be part of the conversation or part of your best practices in general mm-hmm. is to have that sort of thing there. So if if you don't have that in a team and you have people saying like, well, you should have an output, like, well, can can we create as a team that consistent output? And then that way you you can rely on the fact that you should produce the same expected result every single time. Yep. This this challenge gets increasingly hard the larger the team you have. Right. And so it, right. a team of developers of Tommy and his one other guy, right? Easier, right? There's, you're doing peer reviews, basically, right? That's just two people communicating. Like, I, and I find it becomes much more challenging. You have a team of seven, eight. Like, how do you implement standards across that right. entire team and making sure everyone's regularly building stuff? And what happens when you start catching bad habits? The, right. You know, you, uh, yeah. You know, I, again, I think there's like a continually, like quarterly, monthly, maybe there, you know, as, as if you're the leader of that BI space, right? You're continually looking through reports, you're doing peer reviews. I think, I think people that, prove themselves and they have built reports that are very consistent to the standard, those are the individuals you kind of allow peer reviewing to happen, right? Encourage that. Hey, has this report gone through a peer review? No? Okay. Well, we can't, we're not ready to publish anything until we go through a peer review. Go review with XYZ. And so I think there's another, another part of that too, that peer review process enforces more of that capability. Like, okay, I'm peer reviewing. Go to the checklist. Go back to the documentation. Okay, let's, let's walk down the list, make sure we got everything off the list that we want to do. And then, yeah, everyone's happy. And it's simple things. It's simple things like, why do we have the header fields on a card, right? Am I going to export a card, a single data point from a, to Excel? No, I'm probably not. So, like, there's there's like little little nitpicky things that you can turn on or off in reports, uh, and and visuals that you can stylize with themes and stuff. So, I think that's another good option there too. So, man, I got a lot of thoughts from here because there's I think there's. Depending on what role you're at a company, there's very two different ideas of if you're obviously the director of BI or the manager of BI, there's still things you're going to want to do a methodology like, you know, to kind of like it's hard. It's still hard to manage if you have a team of seven, but people people should listen to you. If you look at a report and you're like, this is not following our best practice, you can contact the person. Obviously, you have that authority. Again, there's still it's still hard to say everything going on in your tenant because the tenant metadata and the scanner API doesn't tell you what the design looks like. It only tells you the metadata. So you would have to actually look at every report. But then there's that other aspect of a more parallel side, depending on that role. If you're not really above anyone, so to speak, where if you know, you're an analyst in one department or on the BI team, but every team, like the data analyst and marketing, they don't report to you. They report to their market, uh, their marketing department. So why should they listen to you? So, but that's still, even though it's not on you, so to speak, it's going to affect the quality of, and the overall trust assess point of people actually viewing the reports. You can't just say, well, that's not my problem because it will be your problem at some point because. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's, I think, broaching into the larger adoption roadmaps, yeah. data culture of an organization, how, how robust are, are the have you put out the materials and do you have a best practices location? Can yep. anybody yep. follow it or did you build it specifically for your team? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Like those are, those are kind of the artifacts that we talk about, like having to create and build in order for an organization to expect that the standards you built, Tommy are, should be followed in other parts of the organization. Right. Like much bigger. Yeah. Topic. I know. But I yeah, know. I mean, but these it's... are the guts or pieces that you have to build and generate in order to start having individuals take responsibility or ownership over the product that gets put out into the business. But at the same time, like this is exactly why certified and promoted data sets are a thing or should be. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you're not yeah. certified, like that's where, Hey, we cannot, we're, we're not condoning or accepting anything from these other areas. We're not stopping them from using the reporting tool because we want them to. Sure. But, but like, if if you're going to allow wider sharing throughout the organization, then the certificate like and you don't have one of these certified or promoted sets of, you know, report, then don't expect that it follows this this best practices outline. Right. Well, and right? but if it I agree if that. you are throwing it on, I absolutely think that this should be one of the documents that says everything that goes out the door follows this process. And, and I also agree, like, you do need, like, standards or, like, loops or hoops you're going to jump through to get into the certified process, right? 
every organization can be different, but you define you decide what needs to be required to get into the certified state, right? right? One well, of them, you, like, you pull it into this process, right? right. Exactly. That's where it's like, yes. yeah, you got to report in the wild. Cool. Okay. Now we're going to put it through our best practices process. Yes. And once it's in here, yes, like there's some governance around it and you can't just do whatever you want to anymore. And, and there is like a layer of like, you know, like for, for an example, let me make this a, a tangible example here around the certified pieces, right? A certified data set, you can make a rule that says, okay, if you're going to be a certified data set, no sources can be Excel. You have to figure out how to put it into a source system, right? Yeah. right? You got to build a process to be able to update that data because, I mean, in my world, anytime Excel is a source for information in a Power BI report, it really, it is very difficult to maintain and keep the data quality at a high level because people are in there and they accidentally put something in the wrong spot or it's a number in a text column and stuff just seems, it's more finicky than other data sources. So you need stronger controls around yeah. what that looks like. So I think that's where you start saying, okay, what do we want standard to look like? And certified data sets come with like an SLA, you know, things where if I, if this thing breaks, we stop development on anything net new. We go and fix what that is. We, we, we dedicate a person to go back and make sure that it's working. So I think you have an uh, accelerated approach around support for those particular data sets that we stop, we stop the business and we go fix. I think the constant theme throughout all of this conversation is really, if you don't define it, you can't apply it. Agreed. And I think all like these, all the stuff, whether it's the individual of alignment, the best practices of just someone working in power bi outside of a team and then there's that best practices of that specific team like hey we use this theme we use these layouts you know this is our kind of standards but either way there's nothing you're it's going to be very hard to implement something that rather than sending rogue messages going hey why are you using that color or the Great. layout's wrong to someone where they're going to go okay but if you don't have that defined like this is our policy yep nothing's going to get done with whether you're the director of bi or just a data analyst i also think i mean you have a question where you written down here tommy like why why would anyone listen to this why would anyone participate in like all you're doing now is adding a bunch of rules and process on top of what you're already doing like what's the incentive here and i think there's i think there's some level of you have to be able to like make this better for them than what it was right so i think right. i think this is where I'm, I'm using like maybe the carrot approach here a little bit where you know I'll, here's here's templates here's some easy things to get you going here's some you know use these kind of pieces and then it should simplify your build process right you know here's here's a report with sample bar charts line charts and stuff all in it start with this thing here's a bunch of backgrounds you can just start going to right if you can if you can give someone a template or pieces of a template that allow them to build a clean, good looking report faster. I'm in like you've made my life. So it's again, I think it's thinking about like where in your report development process, where are the key pain points? Where are the key parts that are like an issue, right? If we as a center of excellence or as, as you are leading the center of excellence, if you can go in with that and say, all right, let's identify three. Yeah, no one likes building theme files. That takes a long time. Okay, let's build that for them. Let's get that done. No one likes stylizing these charts. Well, okay, let's let's make a page of here's a bunch of stylized charts. Oh, mm. we've got this really complex, you know, oh, switching button thing, right, that we do, right? Okay, well, let's can we templatize that in a way where we can bring it into a report as a part of a template so you can just copy paste it, right? Pre-build some stuff if you can. And again, that's not going to always work, but I think it removes like the part of the friction of like me wanting to do this stuff. And now when you go through the review process, like, Hey, did you, it, it looks, it conforms, it looks the same. It kind of feels like the right style, but I don't have to do any extra work for it. Someone else did it and I just use it. I, I I'm going to, I love Mark's comment. So I'm going to, I'm going to read it. Like the incentive is you do it right the first time. So you don't have to redo your work. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, best practices are SDLC, right? Uh, the development life cycle of a, of a report, et cetera. Like when people begin to understand that you're building this process to remove the, the bugs, you're to yes. remove like all of the pieces we know can happen when you deploy a report or build a report or update a report. Like the reason the process exists is because all these mistakes have been made in the past yes. and all it does is create thrash. Mm -hmm. So why do people listen? Like the finished product 
is what you have to think about when you're delivering to a customer, whether yep. that's internal or external. So why should they listen? Well, like typically it falls into a couple categories, right? They, they care. They actually care that like that finished product and the result of all of your hard work is presented in that form because, uh, which is one. Yep. They got burned before because they didn't follow the process. So they know the process is important and they should have a process to reference. So right. like it, let's keep it in the realm of like, we, we, we believe everybody in the team wants to do a good job and, and create this finished product. But sometimes I think the gap is people don't understand what the finished product is. Like, and, and I almost would describe it as this. If you got your team or you, you thought about the last 1% of all of your work, which is just this thin veneer of reporting interface to the end user, does everything align for that end user to make them have that experience that you want them to? Because if any of those things are off in that 1%, you just blew away 99% of your work. Mm -hmm. If you can't Is bring it, it worth it? it it's, no. It's like running a race right? and getting to the last couple steps and yeah. sitting down and be like, I'm tired. It absolutely is. So instead of thinking about this in terms of like all these things I have to do and this just stinks and I have to build this pro like all of this thought like gets to the point that the finished products that you're producing for your organization are finished products, right? And or making the organization understand that in order to get to this finished product state, you need to go through these steps because the importance is you want to, you want to put, put forth a completed project because if you're not, then what happens is you've allotted certain amounts of time to go build a report and you're not done yet. You're like, when you want to move on to the next thing, you're going to get all the bugs that come in. You're going to get all the people that aren't happy because your data is not right. You're going to get all those things that like, Going from this report to this report is so disjointed because somebody just threw a bunch of visuals in the you know on on a page and it doesn't meet any conformity that we have with other reports. Like those are jarring experiences for the end user, and the end user is typically the person who doesn't understand how any of this stuff was engineered or built. So there's a few truth bombs there. So Seth, I think. <laughs> You're right. Uh, first off, you're right. And I, I would be remiss to say, Mike, you said something that just freaking awesome where where maybe you have a Power BI report that's literally a style guideline, just yep. like you have those PowerPoints. Yep. I think at the, end of, at the end of the day, whether you have that style guideline or you that finished product, it's for the, like you said, it's for the business, the develop, the, the analyst, the data and the consumer. Yes. Is it scalable? Is it traceable? back to the source and how it got there and is it and is it consumable mm -hmm. for the organization and all of this to having like you're right it's this is not about you have to do this seth you're exactly right this is about being proud of your work and having a finished product to the company you would not present if you were in it you if you were in your graphic design team you're not going to have something like oh i just forgot to remove the background of that power you know uh, of the photoshop oh well it looks good enough, right? <laughs> it's like, this is your work basically. And this is your representation. I, that's a great way to put it. But so I, yeah, I think for me, um, my takeaways from here are, can it be scaled their data model? Can I understand how you got to that data point? If I were to look at this and can the consumer in my particular organization consume it with a similar experience? And again, I'll, I'll point out, I mean, Kind of what you were making a note there earlier too, Tommy, and I think some people in the chat window picked up, picked up on it as well. This concept of like building a couple samples of bar, like there's a couple charts you use all the time. Bar mm -hmm. charts, I think, are one of the ones I use fairly frequently. And there's a couple other ones that are um, some line charts potentially, right? And so what I'll do is if I can't adjust them with a the theme file or I want to give some varying options, again, when I'm when I'm technically pitching stuff to clients it's uh, at some level, I'm even building like, okay, here's here's the bar chart page. Here's option one, two, and three. And I'll make kind of three different options and I'll explain. I mean, you can go, if you want, the template file can be very helpful because once you've stylized a visual beyond whatever is inside the theme file, so theme file can turn titles on or off. Um, you can center the title. You can turn the X la axis label on or off. Simple things, right? But in some cases, you may want to have those different options, right? 
I really I've been finding success with just a couple pages, like one or two pages. Here's what here's some samples. Here's some representative things around bar charts. And you may even do. I mean, this is something that Seth and I did from an end user standpoint in some of our our layouts was adding a single page that describes how to use certain features, right? So that's another thing that you could add in as well. You know, here, here's how to use drill through. Here's how to use this. Here's videos to that content. But if you build those multiple charts on the page, you can even add a description with it. Hey, this is a bar chart. We're going to try and include XYZ. Um, here's how bar charts work together. And as you do that, the nice part is once you have these standard bar charts kind of laid out on a page, you can literally copy paste them between report pages and all the settings will stay with them as you move them around the report. So it's already pre-styled, ready to go. And all you're doing is changing some fields. So I think that speeds up your build process as well as adhering to some, adhering to some standards. And then when you're done, yep. you can either hide or just delete the pages that don't require you know, the standard pages. You can just get rid of them. And I think we've, we've talked about like our deployment pipeline of like all the different yeah. pieces with themes and components and like there's a bunch of tools and features that yeah. that like are just the plugins right yep. <laughs> like Agreed. part of our part of our best practices is these things yep. you know go yep. use them here's the repository for them etc yeah. totally would agree wow this has been a really good conversation so we're, we're almost at time here we're, we're getting close um any maybe we should kind of sit down and say kind of what, what is Overall importance. What is our kind of our final thoughts? Um, you know, how how do what what are your kind of key takeaways from this one? I'll start. Let everyone think for a minute while I while we start wrapping key thoughts. I think I really like the idea that Seth that you were pitching around. You know, thinking about the context of this, not only for your BI team, but like how do you communicate this to like the broader part of the organization? Like I was kind of maybe saying it, but I think you articulated the words differently than I did. That we're like, yeah, that's why we spend time building the center of excellence. That's why we spend time around the seat. Like we want to have pride in our product, right? We want to produce things that add value. And so if we can develop and adhere to some of these things, just document it, keep it out there. But like, it's not only just the BI team, it's broader than that. It's part of the BI team and these other maybe non-governed um, data sources or non-certified data sources that you'd be using as well. How do you, how do you rise? The rising tide maybe raises all ships in this, in this case, right? Having people participate uh, allows more people to build higher quality Power BI reports at the end of the day. So that's kind of one of my, I think, key takeaways for me is build. I think that's a good synopsis, right? Yeah. Build <clears throat> the COE general, for, for a broader audience. In general, if you expect business, uh, or I should say best practices to be followed, yeah, have, have them documented yeah, have along them. with your process, right? Uh, share widely, which is what you're addressing, kind of like yeah. have have them accessible to other people than just your team. Think think broader, mm -hmm. right? Bigger, uh, because all of these artifacts can certainly be used and utilized within an organization, uh, especially as you're building out, you know, how your data culture. Um, I think focus on the 1%, re meaning understand that the veneer of everything you're building is consumed by an end user that has to understand what you're you're, you're you've built mm -hmm. and you're not doing all of this because it doesn't matter because it does and and i think the hardest part once again is the people question right how do you get everybody to follow these best practices yeah. and i was reminded actually this last week even with all of this stuff right mm -hmm. I was talking to a colleague about, you know, certain implementation practices like this and was reminded that everybody engages differently, mm. right? So one of the challenges here is just to remember that, like, just because you built all this stuff and you want people to follow a guideline, it doesn't mean that they're all going to engage with it the same way or be motivated to do it in the same way. So we, we if you're a team lead or you need to get, you know, Ad adoption within an organization, which is the hard one. Mm -hmm. You have more personalities and more people to in engage with. Sure. And there's probably different ways in which you need to carrot and stick folks to follow best practices. Mm -hmm. My last thing is whatever policies you put in place or whatever you define, if you're trying to figure out what those are, you it has to be basically if you open someone else's report or review it, you should be able to in five minutes be able to take it up and run with it. Mm. It has to be something that's scalable and universal, at least for your organization or your team. That's a good point too. 
Yeah, because sometimes you're, you know, you'll, um, you'll start a report, you'll build it for a little bit, and then you'll hand it off to somebody else. One, one thing I, which we try to do as a consulting firm is whenever we're building data models, part of our best practices now is document everything in the model. Write mm -hmm. a description for every table. Hide things you're not using. Um, add measures, and then make sure you write a description of how that measure was calculated. That, that'd be, that'd be, that is becoming a standard because if we set up the best practice that way, if we start with the example of this is good behavior, hopefully as we employ these things in other organizations, right, people will pick up on that and start adopting those things as well by saying, oh, I like this report. It tells me what's going on. Oh, I can see the measure. I can understand how it's calculated because of X, Y, Z, right? I think those are good points to, to start with so other people can follow them as well. All right. Well, with that, we've already burned another whole hour uh, of fun time. This is another good conversation. Very challenging to me, I think, as well. This is some big, big idea concepts, but also some practical uh, things I could implement day to day. So our, our only ask uh, is thank you all for listening, watching the podcast. Our only ask is make sure that you share it uh, if you want. And actually, this week is a great week to share it, because if you share it using the hashtag explicit measures, um, we can catch those on Twitter and LinkedIn, and you can actually win some free stuff. So in, th in this week, and we'll maybe do one in the future, you can actually just share and get something for sharing. Most of the time, we don't ask for anything other than just sharing. But uh, if you want to win something, go ahead and share it on social media. Uh, please attach the hashtag explicit measures with whatever you're sharing, links to the podcast or Spotify or Anchor or whatever that is. Uh, and Tommy, where can you listen to the podcast if you're not watching it real time today? If you're not watching, you can, if you're not watching, you can wait, listen, if, yeah, if right. you're not watching, you can listen to it. I'm just going to do my normal thing. Like you didn't say do anything. Right. It's just, I, I got it in my head. Close it out. If you're watching on the podcast, you can listen to it on Apple and Spotify, subscribe, leave a ratings. Great. Thanks. If you're listening to the podcast, you can watch us on YouTube and LinkedIn every Tuesday and Thursday, 730 AM central live. Awesome. Thank you all very much. And we'll see you on Thursday.